Okay, okay, hello everybody. Cal calm down a little bit. I know you're all excited about Newcastle winning yesterday again. Very excited, 4-0, if you're wondering, if you missed it. Stayed up to watch it on Match of the Day. Uh, uh, so this morning we carry on in the book of Colossians. And uh, I hope you've been in, feel God's been speaking to you so far through this book. It's been a lot of challenging subjects, hasn't it? A lot of things that uh, bring challenge within us about how, how we act out our lives being in Christ. And this morning doesn't change. Um, uh, can I say that it, I had great pleasure and great dread in writing this sermon this morning, uh, but it's all about Christ at home. We have a very short, but very juicy scripture uh, to talk about, so uh, we're going to get into it. But just before we jump into that, I just quickly wanted to give you an update. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you Jenny and I were going to go and spend a, uh, like a day and an evening uh, staying with uh, Terry and Wendy Virgo their, at their home, uh, which was really lovely. I just wanted to say, really, it was a fantastic time. A lot of driving. They live right down by Brighton. It's a long way, isn't it? Um, uh, but it was great. Really good. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a picture of us. Uh, they look a lot more tanned than us northern people, don't they? Um, it was warm down there. It was too warm. Uh, but, yeah, just a great couple. For those who don't know who Terry and Wendy Virgo are, Terry and Wendy have basically been instrumental really in, in planting the churches that we're now a part of um, in, uh, in being part of, we're part of Christ Central, which is in itself part of New Frontiers. And that's something they've started uh, many, many years ago. And it was just so great to hear their stories, to hear things that just raised your faith in terms of what God can do through the everyday people. Um, and they um, just opened their home to us, cooked just lovely, you know, lovely home food for us. Um, we went walking with them and prayed with them. And let me tell you, that, that guy at 80, how old is he, Jenny? 83, Jenny said. Uh, 83, he, he, he spent three months in the US this year speaking there, sharing the gospel. And, uh, you know, we were saying, what does your week look like? I mean, he had a busier week than me and I work full time. And oh, I'm up in Edinburgh, I'll fly up there then I'll be back down for here. I'm speaking over here. He's just still going and God has still given you know, by God's grace, he's still working every week and they just love it. Um, and they, so it was so good. So thank you for releasing us to go. We were really blessed by our time with them. Um, it was really good. And we wondered if they hated it, but they invited us again. So maybe next year we'll go again. So, um, so yeah, that was good. So thank you so much for that. You can take my ugly mug off there. Um, okay, so it's horrible having your picture on the screen like that, isn't it? Um, Okay, so Lord we, Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that as we come to open your word together, like the people eating sweets in the room, we pray that your word would be even sweeter to them. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your, your name is like honey on our lips. And uh, Father, we pray uh, that we would have open hearts to receive from you this morning. We're talking about marriage this morning, Lord Jesus. Uh, and we're talking about being parents but Lord, I just pray that there would be a real sense of your Holy Spirit present with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so I said it was small but juicy, and it is. Uh, Colossians 3, 18 to 21. It says this. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Okay, so I want to start right off the bat by just, just calling it out. When we put words like this on the screen, like the two words, wives, submit. Uh, um, yeah, all right, steady. <laughs> Vegetables coming already at me. Um, No, but in all seriousness, when we put two words like that on screen, there will automatically, in the room, there will be some feelings that rise up, whether you're a young, passionate woman or you've been married for years, or whether you're not married. There are feelings that rise up within us because words like this, in in the world that we live in today, they can cause real offence. So let's just call it as we see it. These can cause real offence. Um, and I saw someone nodding. I'm not going to point you out, but yeah, this, I'm calling it out for what it is. So if you're one of those people in the room, what I, what I really hope you do is, one, you don't get up and walk out as we talk about that subject, and you see that we're going to talk about both roles this morning. I'm just asking you to stick with me. Um, and before we jump into these words, what I want to do um, is I want to talk about why we're talking about these words why this is so important and still relevant for each and every one of us today. So uh, all the way through this book, uh, uh, Paul has been talking about what it looks like when you're a follower of Jesus. That's what he's been talking about. In the English language, we have a really good saying that just works really well for this scenario. And um, it's something in the English language that characterizes a person's values, their loves, their priorities, and, and their passions. So, so say, for example, I, uh, it's no secret, I love football. I really love football. I can't get enough of football at times. Uh, and, and say, for example, you meet somebody and everything they do, everything they talk about is football. It's not quite me. But you would say football is their life. You? I mean, sure, you've used that saying at times. Or say you find someone and, and she just loves gardening, like really passionate about gardening. She loves pruning and she knows all of the right sayings for, for gardening and all those types of things. And they love, you know, mowing the lawn, uh, growing vegetables, all those types of things. And, and you would say, you know, gardening is just her life. Now, obviously, when you say, though, when you say oh, yeah, football, football's his life, or gardening, gardening's her life, you know. Now, obviously, when you say it, it's an exaggeration. It's not a real thing, you know what I mean? It's not actually keeping them alive. It's not their life. It's just that that is like a really meaningful descriptor for people when someone, when everything is occupied by that. And in the daytime, that's all they talk about. If you've ever been with one of those people, that's all they talk about. You meet like stamp collector and that's all they talk about, just stamps. They want to tell you everything about all the stamps that they have. They want to show you all the stamps that they have. And it's like, wow, like this is a lot. And then, you know, if you're one of those people, like you love gardening and maybe you go to bed and you dream about, man, how do I prune that hedge? I don't know if that's the right word, but how do I, how do, I do it? And then you have nightmares like you did it wrong, right? Like, and you wake up, oh, I trimmed the hedge wrong. Well, fortunately, it's just a nightmare, right? Like, but it consumes everything. It consumes your time, your energy. You don't really get weary of it. And very often, it's where we spend our time, our passion, our money goes into these things. And, and they become this consuming interest. And we, we would say, you know, it's just become their life. 
And when we talk about the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter for us, when we talk about him, what, what we would say about Paul is that Jesus was his life. In fact, he says himself in Philippians 1.21, he says, to me, to live is Christ. It's all there is to this life. It's, it's just Christ. And, and, and the truth is, he doesn't just say it. He doesn't just say to me, to live is Christ. Actually, all of his lifestyle tells you that that's what his life is about. It's all he talks about. It's all he does. It's all he, it's, it's all he can think about. And, and, and we see his life choice reflect that Jesus is his life. His inner passion for Jesus has become this outward expression in every part of him. And, and, and it's undeniable to everyone around him. And I want to start by asking you the question. Don't ask me because I'm not on trial. It's just you. But I want to start by asking you the question, what would you say about yourself? What is your life all about? Like, it, or even worse than that, um, what if I asked other people? Now, don't hear me wrong. It's not like you can't, you know, love Jesus and be a Jesus follower and still have other passions. Of course you can. But I'm talking about what is it that, that you're driving force in life? What do you build your life around? What is your life kind of orbit around? And if I was to ask other people, your, your wife, your husband, if I was to ask your co-workers or your, your friends, your parents, what would they say your life is about? The answer for Paul is Jesus. And, and as we've traveled through the book of Colossians, what Paul is writing to believers is he's saying, this is who Jesus is. He is supreme. He reigns above all and through all and is everything. But this is also what it looks like when that is a reality in your life. This is what it looks like when your life is all about Jesus. And we've talked about some of that stuff already, haven't we? What it looks like when your life is all about Jesus. And how when this gospel truth becomes a reality to you, how it reaches into every single part of your life. It can't, you can't resist it. And this week, it's all about how it reaches into your most intimate relationships, into your home, into your parenting, into your marriages. That's what it's about. It permeates everything. It's displayed in every area. So as we talk this morning, we're going to be talking about Christ at home next week. John's going to pick up and we're going to talk about Christ at work. Man, you're all going to want to be here for that one. And, but specifically this morning, we're going to talk about mainly marriage. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I just want to just say right from the get-go, some of you in this room aren't married. Some of you may be married in the future. Maybe some of you aren't and no longer married. Uh, maybe some of you never want to get married. And that's, all those things are all okay. And you're going to listen to the roles of a, of, a, of a husband and a wife. And one hope is that you hear more about who Jesus is and who he is to you through those roles. The second thing is, is even if you're not married, I promise you at some point you can support somebody who is and encourage somebody who is with these two roles. So please, if you're not married, if, if, uh, if you think I can just switch off, brilliant, I'll put my feet up, Mike, thanks for talking about marriage this morning, I could just clock out. No, you can't, uh, because if you're not married but you ought to be married one day, you're looking for someone who's going to love you like this, basically. Um, okay, sorry about that. 
A very itchy nose all of a sudden when I, okay, sorry. <laughs> so first of all, let's talk about marriage. I have a bad story for you. You ready for it? There was a woman who accompanied her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor called the wife into his office alone, and he said, listen, your husband is suffering from a serious disease combined with horrible stress. If you don't do the following, your husband can or almost certainly will die in the next year. Each morning, what I want you to do is fix him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant with him. Make sure he's in a good mood. For lunch, fix him a nutritious meal. And for dinner, listen, dinner, pull out everything. Prepare an especially nice meal. Are you listening, ladies? Whatever you do, don't burden him. Don't burden him with chores. Don't, hey, it's not my advice, it's the doctor's. Don't discuss your stress. Don't bring that on him. This will probably make him feel much worse. If you can do this, listen, if you can do this for at least 10 months to a year, I think your husband will fully recover from what he's going through. On the way home in the car, the husband said to the wife, what did the doctor say to you in the, in the office on your own? She reached over and put her hand on his leg and said, I'm sorry, love, you're going to die. <laughs> the astronaut Michael Collins, uh, speaking at a banquet, he quoted the estimates that women... Uh, speak, uh, sorry, a, a man speaks 25,000 words a day. It's all you men out there. And the, the average words a woman speaks every day is 30,000 words a day. And then he adds, unfortunately, when I come home each day, I've used my 25,000 words and my wife is only just starting hers. <clears throat> Marriage is a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, you've got to laugh sometimes, otherwise you'd cry. <laughs> but marriage is a funny thing. And the great thing about marriage is it brings out the differences between us. It makes so apparent the differences between men and women, between husbands and wives. Uh, but this morning, in these two verses, it's all about what real biblical marriage looks like. And, and I want to point out some right at the beginning. In the, in the time when this letter was written, I mean, we're getting it 2,000 years later in a completely different culture, in a different country. But at the time when this letter was delivered to the church in Colossae, that what Paul had written to them was completely alien to them. So we think it's alien today. It was alien to them. Um, the the uh, Scottish author, it's called William Barclay, he wrote this. He wrote, under Jewish law... A woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband just as much as his house or his flocks or his material goods were. She had no legal rights whatsoever. For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, while a wife had absolutely no rights in order to initiate a divorce herself. Also, in Greek society, so that was Hebrew society, in Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go to the market, both under Jewish and under Greek laws and customs, all privileges belonged to the husband and all duties 
to the wife. Privileges to the husband, duties to the wife. Women were not seen as equals in the church. They were not seen as equals in society. And this is what Paul has to write into, to speak into, to bring some sort of theological basis for why this is not the case for Jesus' followers. In Galatians 3, 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Scripture teaches that male and female, or husband and wife, as we're going to frame it this morning, are equal before God. There is no higher or lower. They are equal before God. Christian marriage then, 2,000 years ago in Colossae, it looked very different from what Paul was teaching. And, And you would even say that now. When we read these two verses about marriage, it looks very different from what marriage looks like in our society today. And as we dig into it, you're going to realize that it looks very different from what, where it has to do in marriage today by the world around us, by the culture that we live in. But what these two small but powerful verses teach us is what, when our marriage is focused on Jesus... Oh, sorry, that, that was what we just read. What our, when our marriage is focused on Jesus, this is what it looks like. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fit into the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So wives, submit. Husbands, love. So I'm going to deal with the first one. Wives, submit. I just feel the air, leave the room. <sighs> wives, Submit. So I want to start by pointing out, first of all, what this command does not mean. First of all, this command absolutely is specific to husbands and wives. This command is not about men's and women's roles in society. Notice Paul is addressing wives to submit, not women to submit, wives And this command is for wives and it is to be kept within the marriage. But doesn't this sound a little bit backwards, right? So we've just talked about how men and women are equal and yet in the next breath I'm saying that wives are called to submit. And if if the Bible insists and it teaches that marriage is a pairing of equals, so then why are women told to submit? Surely you can't submit to somebody and be their equal. You can't be on the same level of them as, as they are, be equal with them, and yet submit to them. Surely that puts you underneath them. But you see, that's precisely what Jesus shows us how to do. In Philippians 2, 5 to 7, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very same, very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus, although he was God, made himself a servant. A servant. And this is the kind of submission that you as a wife, speaking to wives in the room, that you as a wife are called to imitate. 
to submit as a servant. Again, stick with me. Don't throw anything just yet. Wives are not called to submit to every man. Let me say that again. You're not called to submit to every man that you encounter, but rather to your husband within a family unit to allow him to lead the home. What this command also does not mean, be very, very clear here about what this is about, it is not a blind, passive submission to your husband. You see, the submission that Paul is talking about is a responsive submission to what your husband is doing. Let me be really clear. You're not called to just submit regardless of the circumstances. There is a clear, clear role for your husband in this too. It's so important. Just like in a marriage, you can't marry yourself, right? Well, I'm sure in some places they do weird things like that. But just like in this country, you can't marry yourself. There are two people involved in the marriage covenant. A man and a woman committing themselves to one another. And just like there are two ends to the marriage agreement, there are two ends to this agreement. Submission comes at a cost. It's not a blind submission. It comes at the cost to your husband. It comes at a, a cost to him. Yes, the Bible asks their wives to submit, but it is under the assumption that their husbands are selflessly loving their wives. And the trouble with this scripture, like many other scriptures, and I've said this a thousand times from the front, I'll probably say it a thousand more times, but the Bible is very dangerous when we take it out of context. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to when you take it out of context in which it was meant to be written. Like I've said before, the Bible, I could quite easily stand up here and teach from the Bible that there is no God. That's what it says in the Bible. But I'm taken out of context. It says, for a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And whenever we take the Bible out of context, it becomes what we want it to be. So whenever you see somebody quote this to women, they're quoting it out of context without the second part. We must be careful to read scripture in the way it was written. These two verses were meant to be read together, not independent from one another. So a wife's called to submit to their husbands today, now. Yes, you are. Women, wives in the room, you are called to submit to your husband. Not every man, but just your husband. But you do it, you do it in response to your husband's end of the deal. And we're going to talk to the men in the room now, the husbands. You'll be glad to hear I'm moving on from you. So what's the husband's end of the deal? Number two, husbands, love. When you take these, context, these verses out of context, this sounds like the sweetest deal ever for the man, doesn't it? You know, my wife has to do whatever I want. But understanding these verses correctly, actually you realize that this response from your wife only comes as a consequence of what you are doing in your marriage too. What, what is it that you're being asked to do? Well, Paul is, is asking you to love your wives. Now, what type of love is he talking about? Well, let me tell you, he is not talking about this passionate romantic love that you get in that first fluster of meeting each other. 
And he's not talking about this warm, fuzzy feeling love that, you know, teenage boys get at 13 or, you know, you just have to a friend or someone that you see in the supermarket that you, oh, bless them, I really like that person. They love them, they're great. He's not talking about that type of fluffy love. He's talking about a term that we, many of you will know, agape love. Agape love, in the Greek, agape. And, it, and what kind of love is agape? Well, it's the type of love that you as a man of God have to work your entire life to be good at. It's a type of love that calls you to be a biblical man. I don't mean a man of the world, like, you know, look at my steroid arms, you know, or, you know, look how good I am at business or whatever it is. I don't know what men are good at these days, but, but you know, it's not that type of brash love. It's a type of love actually, the only men of God can do. It's a kind of love that seeks the highest good for the other person. It's a kind of love that comes even at the price of, of, of myself and what I want. My own comfort, my own safety, my own benefit. It's a kind of love, actually, that's unconditional. It doesn't flutter in and out with my emotions. It's unconditional. It's a kind of love that's self-sacrificial. That actually my needs, my wants don't matter. You do. And it's a kind of love that God shows you even when you don't deserve it. That's the kind of love that husbands are called to give their wives. That's the kind of love. Ephesians 5, 25 to 28 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make a holy cleansing, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. The church is at its best today because of Jesus's sacrifice. And that is the type of love that you're called to give your wife. Her, her best, even if it costs you. Giving up your own selfishness, your own wants, your own needs. And in response, what you see is a wife who is willing to submit to you because she knows that you love her and you have her best interests at heart. Even if it costs you, she knows you'll do it. A Christian couple, uh, a therapist tells a story about a Christian couple in marriage counseling and they've been struggling for years and years. They've been struggling with each other. And it seems like a day doesn't go by without them arguing with each other. And they're in this counseling and whilst they're sat in front of the counselor, they start, an argument starts between them again. And the husband's really embarrassed about how his wife is speaking, how she's shouting. And he tells her to be quiet. Stop, stop it. And she doesn't stop. She keeps going. She feels free to talk and she keeps talking. And, he say, and, he, and then all of a sudden in that moment, out blurts what he really thinks. And he says, see, she just will not submit. Ah, there's the problem. There's the problem in the marriage. The husband had the understanding that he was some sort of master over her, over the relationship. 
And his role was to tell her what to do and her role was to shut up and listen. How did Jesus lead us? How does Jesus love you day to day? Simply by serving and laying down his life. Our job as a husband is not to master over our wives, but to serve and to love them, just like the example of Christ with the church. If you're a young lady in the room and you haven't found your husband yet, maybe God's promised you one, that's the husband you're looking for. One who just selflessly loves you. This passage, husbands, is not a license for you to be a jerk. It's God's invitation for you to selflessly love your wife the way that Christ loves you. And maybe as a husband this morning, you need a reminder of a biblical image of what a, of what a marriage should look like, of what your role is in the marriage. Ruth Graham, wife of Billy Graham, she said, a good marriage is the union of two forgivers. Man, is that true. <laughs> a good marriage is a union of two forgivers. Husbands in the room, maybe you're looking for the wrong outcomes to your situations, to your problems. Maybe you've spent your life in your marriage looking for win-wins. You know, something comes up and you were like, oh man, I was really hoping to watch, I don't know what you watch, you know, uh, Gardener's World tonight. Um, sorry, Gardener's on my mind. Oh, you know, I was really hoping to watch that, but your wife's busy and you've got to deal with the kids. Or you, you know, oh, she, you know, she could have helped me here. She, she knows that on a Saturday night, I always watch Gardener's World, you know. And you're looking for win-wins. How do I get what I want out of this? And also, you know, don't fall out with her. <laughs> and maybe you just look for win-wins all your life. But actually, the Bible calls you to be okay with win-losers. Not you win, she loses, but she wins you lose. That's what the Bible calls you to. Jesus didn't win-win. You know, he went to the cross. He bore our shame and our sin in order to buy our forgiveness. We won at his cost. And that's what the Bible is calling you as a husband to do. Her at her best, even if it costs you. That's the type of love that you're called to. Wives in the room, let me just say this to you. A man's heart, it longs to lead you, to direct you, and to protect you. And if you don't allow your husband to do these things in your home, over time, you will crush him. You will. There is not a husband in the room who doesn't want to be his wife's hero. Just not. There's not a husband in the room who doesn't want their wife to be their biggest cheerleaders. I mean, I, I, I'm like a puppy sometimes walking around the house. Come on, praise me. Tell me how good I am. I don't know why it's true, but it is. Men are weird, right? Like, we just want to be your hero. I can't tell you why. Have you got to a point where actually you don't let your husband lead you? If you, if, if you are hearing about this husband this morning that the Bible's asking them to be, and you're hearing it saying, this is my husband, I can respond to that in the safety, knowing I can submit to him, knowing he's going to take me to God. He's going to lead me closer towards Jesus. 
Maybe you've got to a point where you're your husband's biggest critic rather than his biggest fan. How do you speak about him? How do you pray for him? I'm telling you, he wants to be your hero. And he will let you down, but keep being his cheerleader. And to be clear as we finish our marriage, to the men in the room, whether you're married or not, this passage does not allow you to choose when you go to the cinema, what you're going to watch, what you're going to eat for dinner tomorrow night, what, you know, when demand things physically. It doesn't allow for any of that. What it is, is simply challenging you to lead your home in a way that glorifies God and to help your wife and your children feel loved, cherished, and protected. Amen? Good. No vegetables were thrown. It's good to hear. And lastly, we're going to finish by looking at these two verses real quick. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So when Christ is the head of our home, that's what we're talking about this morning, not only does our marriage relationship reflect mutual love and respect and unity, but also our parenting style, actually, and our relationship with our children, it will affect how we discipline them, it will affect how we care for them, how we forgive them, how we're patient with them. Man, do we need patience? How we encourage them. And this comes from a culture that's locked in to your marriage, to your marital relationship. It all comes from that. And actually, when kids are raised in homes where they see an example of a, of a wife who submits to leadership, like, man, do we want our kids to submit to leadership? Anybody else have that problem with kids or just us? Like, do we want them to submit to what we're asking them to do? When they see wives acting that way, and then when they see a father who is an example of self-sacrificial love, putting aside what he wants for the good of others, when they see that actually just naturally has a huge effect on our children's lives, doesn't it? And, and just, as Jesus, just like Jesus was a perfect example to wives in being God, but yet humbling himself, being equal to God, but yet not using that and instead being a servant. And just like with husbands, actually giving all that he had for the benefit of the church, just like we see Jesus being the perfect example, Jesus is the perfect example to children too. Man, I'm going to pull this one out when Hannah's old enough to understand, I tell you. Luke 2, 51 tells us, then he, Jesus, I added the brackets just in case you're reading your own Bibles. Then he, who is Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, Mary and Joseph. That's his earthly parents. And everybody says, was obedient to them. Like, can I just talk about what a strange picture this is for a second? So you've got God incarnate, you know, God with skin on in Jesus, right? And he's, the God who created the whole universe and everything in it, he knit Mary and Joseph together in their mother's womb. He knows them intimately. He created them. And yet he voluntarily, he submits to them, his own creation. And he's obedient to them in order to glorify God. Man, pull that one out in your kids. Hey, Jesus was obedient to his parents and you need to be too, Okay. Just, just looking at some people squirming in the room. Jesus was obedient. And why? Because he wanted to glorify God. And as, pa as parents, 
as children, you know, of parents, even if you're a grown-up child, we want to glorify God by the way that we, we, we obey our parents. And, re- and man, sometimes I have the worst time <laughs> with my parents. They're not here, so it's good news. But like, it, you, sometimes you listen to their reasoning behind something, you think, that's a silly idea. <laughs> Why would I do it that way? But actually, the Bible calls me to be an obedient child. I might be a grown-up child, but I need to be obedient. And you know what? Jesus knew way more <laughs> than Mary and Joseph would ever know in their entire lifetime. And yet he still submitted to them and obeyed them. It just baffles my mind. And hum- it should bring humility to us. But also how we speak to our children. The Bible tells us as parents, do, not, do we embitter them? Do we discourage them? The Bible tells us not to. Or do we, do we tell them that we're proud of them? Let me encourage you. Look, I had to wait till my wedding day for my mum to tell me she was proud of me. It was way too long. Way too long. You know, I, I just made a promise to myself. I would tell Hannah every reasonable moment that I would just tell her I was proud of her, that I loved her. I try and do that. Sometimes it's easier to be proud of her than other times. I know it's hard. Parenting is so difficult. It stretches you, strains you. But let me just say this. They're a gift from God and you want to lead them towards God. Bible tells us, you know, to lead them towards the Lord. And as they're older, they won't turn from it. They'll keep going in that direction. Tell them you're proud of them. Tell them you love them. I don't care if you feel awkward. (laughs) If your parents never told you that, break it now. Break that chain now. Don't allow your own children to carry on with that. Tell them you're proud of them. Tell them you love them. Build them up. Remind them of who they are in God. Remind them of God's promise on their lives. We're called as fathers and mothers to build up our children. We're going to finish now uh, by taking communion. I'm sorry, I've gone on way too long. So what does it look like when Christ is in our home? among our families. Well, all of our relationships reflect who we are in him, all of them. And we're going to finish this morning by focusing on the one who laid down his life. You band want to come up um, and we're going to take communion together before we go home today. And I want to encourage you to think about your homes as you come and take communion together. I'm going to invite John up to lead us through this But I want to encourage you, wives, submit just like Christ. Although he was God, he humbled himself. Husbands, love as Christ loved the church. Do away with selfishness. Die to your own wants. Love, cherish, protect. Look for win-lose. She wins, I lose. Mothers and fathers in the room, raise up your children by reinforcing the truth in their life. Anybody who still has parents in the room, bear them just as Jesus did.